Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is Musically Musically Hitched. Today's guest is Grammy-nominated producer, musician, and vocal arranger Herman Johnson, also known as Peanut. After attending Berklee College of Music, Johnson, originally from North Carolina, relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, where his music career began to radiate. He has traveled the globe working with some of the biggest names in both gospel and R&B music. The co-founder of Gifted Child Entertainment, he is the longtime drummer and musical director for R&B icon Monica. In addition, he's produced music for Tyler Perry and assists with live performance arrangements for artists including Jennifer Lopez, Sierra, Tamar Braxton, and American Idol winner Fantasia. If you enjoyed today's content, Don't forget to please like and subscribe so that you're always notified when new episodes are released. Today's episode features music from Peanut's latest EP release entitled New Life, available in digital stores worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today with an esteemed guest, Mr. Herman Peanut Johnson himself. He is a drummer to the stars, music director extraordinaire, music producer, recording engineer, mixing, mastering, you name it, he's probably done it and he probably plays it. And that's no joke. We were excited to have him on the show today. This is Musically Hits, and we're gonna dive right in today. So, Peanut, I've known you for a long time. I'm gonna call you Peanut. Government name is Herman Johnson, but the industry knows you as Peanut, right? Right, So, tell the listeners where you're from, what's your backstory, you know, how did you get to where you are today? So let's take it all the way back, because we're both from Carolina, so let's go ahead and put that out there right away. Go all the way back? Let's go ahead and go all the way back. Okay. Let's go back to 85 and 40 East and 40 (laughs) West. Let's let's talk about where they meet up. Tobacco Road, let's do it. Woo, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm I'm from Butner, North Carolina. A lot of people don't know where Butner is, but if you've driven 85 North to get to Virginia, you've, you've gone through three exits of Butner. <laughs> you may not even, you might even stop for gas. You might have even stopped at our Mickey D's or Burger King or something, mm-hmm. but you stopped in Butner, but I'm from Butner, North Carolina. That's Granville County. That's Creedmoor area. Um, it's close to Durham, not too far from there. Maybe like, you know, five, 10 minutes or whatever. Um, so majority of the time I tell people I'm from Durham if they don't know where Butner is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Yeah, man. So that's that's the crib. You know, that's that's the crib, man. Everything started started right there, man. You know, at uh, at, at, at CFC, Christian Faith Center, man, when I was a kid. So you're a drummer. Most people that know you know that about you right away. Did you start on drums or did you gravitate to the drums? What was your first instrument? Drums. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely drums. Um the the crazy thing about that is um I used to um <laughs> I used to play on my mom's um like pots and pans and stuff. Um I, I think I was probably maybe like three or four or something like that. I I have the picture somewhere, I gotta find it. And it's it cracks me up. But I started out on drums, man, because um 
Matter of fact, your your brother in law, your brother in law was like the biggest, like the biggest influence, man. Kevin Morton was like the biggest influence of me picking up sticks. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about the game pickup sticks neither, you know, like for <laughs> real, for real. <laughs> he was like the biggest influence, man. It was like, it was two, it was two guys um, when I, I was coming up. It was Kevin Morton and it was um, Glenn Burgess. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those to me were the guys that as a, you know, as a kid, I looked up to and was like, yo, I want to play like that one day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they had, they both had two separate styles. You know what I'm saying? But they were, to me, like that's a part of my core, my foundation when it comes to just playing period, just music period. You know, I wasn't interested in keys at all. Like I just, that wasn't my thing. You know, I, it was just too much, but drums for some reason, it was just, I don't know. It moved me. And I'm going to tell you, man, now here's the thing. This was the difference for me um, growing up because it was actually at um, before Christian Faith Center was Christian Faith Center. It was First Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And that's that's when I remember saying, wow, like I want to I want to do this because the way Kevin here's the thing. The way Kevin played drums was so it was so smooth and, and just, he was slick with it. Like he was doing stuff, but it was like his hands wasn't moving. It was like, he had like mind control over the drums. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. He like, Kev was that guy, man. It was like, and I would just watch the way he would play. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, wow, it's how is he doing this? You know, all this stuff. And it's just so smooth and, and effortless. But if he was just listening, it didn't sound like it was effortless. Mm-hmm. It was sounding like, oh, oh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was like I wanted to play. I wanted to to play like Kev, you know, like because he had like this, the smoothness of everything. Glenn, Glenn was was more. I'm going to say rowdy when he played. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like he had more. um I guess you I guess you could say um he was more showy, like spinning sticks and he was he was that guy. He, you know what? He was like um I'm not sure if you're familiar with marching band, but yeah. um marching core style versus show style. Okay. Break it down for me. Okay, so core style is more militant, more military style. Okay. okay. You know what I'm saying? Where everything is really astute, everything is you know, extremely calculated in this, that, and the other. Um, show style, show band style is if anybody's ever seen the movie Drumline, all of that is show band style. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's like for for me, that was like, you know, uh AT Aggies or Central, North yeah. Carolina Central. It was like them. You know what I'm saying? It was just the, you know, HBCUs. That's yeah. what it that's what it was. Right. You know what I mean? So Kev was more core style and Glenn, and this is the way I saw it. Glenn was more show style. You know what I mean? But they both were like, to me, they were like equally dope. But I gravitated, I gravitated more towards Kev because of the type of control 
mm. you know, he had. It was like, I want to be able to play like that. I want to be able to have that, that kind of control. Right. But at the same time, if I if I need to put a little more into it, I can. That's how I kind of looked at at those guys. And I wanted to, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I used to just stand behind the drums, man, like during like service and everything like that, and just be like just watching, just taking notes, just you know, waiting on my chance to just try stuff out. And at this time, I didn't even have a drum set at the home at, at the crib. How old were you when this was when you were when you were peeping over their shoulders at the drum kit? How old were you? I was probably like four or five, man. I was probably like four or five. And I would come home. Like I said, I gotta I gotta find that um gotta find that picture, man. But I would come home and I would just be like envisioning, you know, me playing what they're playing. In my mind, I felt like I was doing what they was doing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, it, I mean, they, they definitely was the, was the spark, man, you know, or I guess, yeah, I guess you can say that or, or yeah, spark or match to, to light that, light that fire to want to, you know, play drums and stuff, man. So this was around four or five. So when did you actually start playing the kit? Let's say, okay, we graduated now until we got the passion. We got the ment- mentors in place or the inspiration. When do you remember first taking the kit? Um, to say if it was was a church was that the first time you played the drums publicly in front of an audience nah well yeah that was the first time i played in front of, front of an audience yeah okay. but the first time i ever played was on um, my dad i think i was about six years old my dad actually gave me my first drum lesson and i remember waking up one morning uh for christmas and everything you know as kids you know you get up get up a little bit earlier yeah see if there's presents under the tree and all right. that good stuff so <laughs> You know, I snuck downstairs, man, and I didn't realize that he, you know, he had set up an actual drum set. Not no little kid drum set either. It was like an actual five-piece kit. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. You know, and I remember going back upstairs, and I was like, this can't be real because it was everything that I wanted. So when I went back downstairs, um. I didn't, here's the thing. I did not know how to play drums. Like I didn't know about the whole foot pedal situation and all that stuff. Okay. Like I, I saw them doing that, but it didn't, it just didn't register. So when my dad, um, got on the kit and you know, he was like, I'm a, I'm gonna show you how to play it. You know? Cause he asked me if I knew how to play it. And I was like, yeah. And I was just on there just, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, my yeah. dad got on there and he said, he was like, I was like, my dad. And I ain't gonna lie, man. Like I started, I started tearing up. I couldn't believe it. I started crying. Okay. Cause I was so, I was so happy, man. You know what I'm saying? So he gave me my first drum lesson, you know, and all that stuff. And I just, I mean, I just practice, 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 man. And I think, I think the first time I ever played in front of an audience, um, it was the youth choir. I can't remember how old I was, but it was the youth choir at CFC, you know, and the way they had the drums set up and all that stuff, like he was obviously on a riser and all that stuff. It was, it was, it was crazy, but I do remember my heart being in my throat. Like I was like, I was scared as I don't know what, you know what I mean? 
And I just remember being like, yo, okay, now this is my, it's my turn to like, to like play in front of people, you know, because prior to that, all I've, all I ever was doing was, you know, just playing in my room, you know, and just practicing and practicing, you know. So the first time I ever played in front of people, man, was was at church, man. I'm a church boy all day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and your church was not, a, that was not a typical church because a lot of musicians, secular, some of the most famous musicians in the world, male and female, we trace our, our musical heritage back to the church, right? But your experience was a little different. Talk to us about, about them and, and how they kind of set the tone for for musical excellence in particular? Well, I know Bishop Mack and Brenda Timberlake, it's it's so crazy, they were just musically driven. I mean, we had some of the most prominent gospel artists and, and secular too, mm-hmm. come through our church, man, you know, and he exposed us to a lot of that. Like a, a lot of the times, you know, especially in, in our area it wasn't like we were gonna go to like gospel concerts and all this other stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. He brought the concerts to the church. Sacred and secular. Man. Really? I would never forget when Mace came and actually preached. We were like, is that is that Mace? Like P. Diddy and Mace? Mace? Was this at the height of his fame? Yeah. This was this was when he literally turned from secular to gospel. He had like a stint. Right. He had like a stint where he went, he went gospel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he was there, man. Like we've had so many other people come through, man. I mean, um, uh, Fred, of course, I mean, we've had Fred, like maybe, I don't know, maybe three or four times, something like that. Um, Kurt Dawkins and Dawkins, Karen Clark, Shirley Caesar. I mean, it's been so many people to come through that I, I don't even know all of them. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's a Hall of Fame list you just rolled off right there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, and it's crazy because we were ex- we were exposed to that. Exactly. We were exposed to that kind of like excellence, and it was like being able to meet the musicians who played for these artists. They were like, t- to me personally, you know, they were like superheroes to me. Cause I'm like, dang, you know, I want to be able to do this one day, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and growing up, you know, I wasn't able to listen to anything except for gospel. Okay. There was, there was nothing secular in, in the crib. My parents wouldn't let me listen to anything secular at all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Growing up. So and that's probably not strange for a lot of people that grew up in the South, the Bible belt, you know, that's, that, hey. that can be somewhat consistent. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> And that's real, man. You know what I mean? And, you know, I mean, he just, he really just exposed us to a lot of, um, a lot of things that I honestly, I honestly don't think um, I would have been exposed to because, you know, Butner, Creepmore, that's a, that's a town. Those are small towns. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a lot of, it's not like Raleigh or Durham, you know, when people come to do shows, they go to like Raleigh or Durham or Charlotte, you know what I'm saying? Or Greensboro. They don't, they don't come to, they don't even know where Butner is. Right. <laughs> they don't know where Creedmoor is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he was able to like bring these artists there, man. And like, I guess, I guess show us that, Hey, you know, it's, it's more out there 
than, you know, uh, just Butner and Creedmoor. You know what I mean? And that that instilled something in me early. You know what I mean? It definitely put something in me early that was like, man, you know, this is crazy. Like, can can my drumming, can my music take me like further than Button and Creed, more in the Granville County area, in the wow. Durham County area, yeah, in the yeah. Vance County area? Is is that really actually possible? Mm-hmm. But he made that mentally right possible for for me you know he made that mentally possible and it just i'm not gonna lie man it just really it fueled the passion that i already had you know amazing so you basically the the music industry in essence came to you because everybody has a different story in this business some people grow up in music centers right we both reside in atlanta now you know the musical cultural hotbed of the of the world at this point yeah, right? melting pot. some people grew yeah. up in los angeles new york city was was hot when we were growing up yeah. um you know nashville is is a couple hours away from us so there are those 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 major metropolis that we can all just roll off the tongue that are, are big but but like you said no one knows where butner is unless you've been before unless you have unless a reason to for you to have seen all those legendary artists and didn't have to leave butner or creedmoor is really really Outstanding. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Yeah. You know, now I will say, <laughs> I will say, uh, when I mentioned where I'm from, Butner and everything like that, there people that do know where Butner is, they only know Butner because, oh yeah, y'all got that maximum prison over there, don't mm-hmm. y'all? Right. I'm always like, oh God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's in our backyard. Yeah, that's there, you know. <laughs> but you're a great example of what can happen, I believe. Uh, as a result of of exposure, um, and particularly when you dream big, so you had someone, you had the mentors we talked about, Kevin and Glenn, how what they they did for you, and then of course uh, your pastors, them having a vision and seeing a vision that's big enough for other people like yourself to kind of be launched, if you will, yeah. into your own destiny, and 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 you've played in the church as well as in secular arenas all across the the country and probably the globe. That that training ground really, really launched you. So taking it a step further, obviously you got on the drums. You knew that it could be possible, but when did you know, okay, I'm about to do this for a living. So let's let's take it to high school. You talked about uh, marching band. What was life like in high school and pre-college for you? Well, before then, I went to Holly Middle School. Okay. Um, so at Holly... And I don't know if this was statewide or whatever or, or countywide or whatever, but you couldn't play in the um, the school band um, unless you were in seventh grade and up. And in middle school, it was sixth grade, seventh grade and eighth grade. So in sixth grade, I wanted to play, you know, drums in the marching band, you know, but obviously I couldn't because I was in sixth grade, seventh grade comes around. I'm like, cool. You know, this is my opportunity to to try out. You know, I want to, you know, uh, play in the marching band. I want to play snare. I want I actually wanted to play um, toms, you know, but in order to play toms, you had to play snare first. And at the same time, I'm playing basketball, you know, because it was like the same around the same kind of situation. You couldn't play school ball before seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So it was like a toss up drums, basketball, basketball, drums. But I was able to do both. But. I, I didn't get into um, the marching band until eighth grade because 
what I found out was you had to play a horn instrument first before you could play a percussion instrument. I ain't want I ain't had that kind of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I ain't come here for all that, man. I don't want to play no horn instrument. I don't want to do none of that. I want to play them. I want to play drums. I'm a okay. drummer. You know what I mean? Focus. You were focused early. You knew. Hey, man, I ain't got time for these horns, man. I don't I don't do that. I play drums. You know what I mean? And Mr. Mm-hmm. Morgan, I'll never right. forget him, man. Mr. Morgan, um, uh, in eighth grade, like um, uh, some of the students or whatever were like kind of letting them know, like, oh, you should let Herm you let Herm try out. I mean, he's really he's really good. He's really good. And I'll never forget this kid, um, Chad. I forgot his last name, but he just thought he was the dopest, you know, and he was always challenging me like at lunch, you know, at the lunch table. Like he would have his little sticks and just be drumming. And I always was like killing him, you know, with I didn't know what I was playing necessarily, but I knew what it sounded like, you know, because I learned by ear. So this one particular time, Mr. Uh, Mr. Morgan, um, he actually told me, he said, well, why don't you come by the band room during um, during band class? You know, if you have a free you know, a free period, you know, like we had free periods back then, you know, if you have a free period, why don't you come by the, come by the band, you know, by the band, band office or whatever. I said, okay, cool, man, this might be my, my chance, my opportunity. So I'll never forget, man, I walked in there and the way the band room was set up when you walked in, um, the actual players, um, their backs were to you when you walked in. So when you walked in, you could only see the instructor. So the players, they never saw you. But when I walked in, it was like, uh, you ever watch some of those country westerns where um, they're playing the, you know, whoever's playing the piano, honky tonk piano and this, that and the other. And then somebody walks in and it's like, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's like everything stopped. Like when mm-hmm. I walked in. Right. Of course. And um, I look at Mr. Morgan, I stopped at the door and I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You know, because I didn't even think anybody was going to be in there except for him. And he was like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, come on in, um, you know, meet me in my office. And that's when I heard, you know, the mumbles just everybody's mumbling like that's her. That's her. I don't know. You know, so I walk into the office and he pulls out this book, you know, this hardcover book. And he just lays it down, just just bow. And he gives me some sticks. He said, play me something. And I was like, like, right, right now? He was like, yeah, <laughs> play me something. And I was like, okay. So I played whatever. I don't remember what it was that I played, but I played whatever. And it might've been their, their particular um, cadence that, that the school band was playing at the time. And I just learned it by ear. And right after that, I remember seeing like some of the, um, some of my friends or whatever in the, in the doorway, because you could see in the glass in the doorway, they was just like looking in, like, you know, it was done. So when I got done, um, he didn't say anything. And I was like, well, I guess I ain't gonna be in the band, mm-hmm. you know? And we walked out and, um, Right when I came out of the of the door, he said, um, Herman, go ahead on over there, um, grab you some sticks, grab a snare, and um go ahead on and drum the uh join the uh the drummers over there. I was like, What? 
So that was my first time saying to myself, okay, this, this can, this can possibly work out. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? That was the first time I ever auditioned anything or whatever. Cause I didn't, I didn't audition in the, um, you know, for the youth choir, it was just, you know, you have a gift come forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was that kind of thing. So I, I never auditioned until then. And, um, ironically going to, um, uh, high school, I went to, yeah, I went to CFC from ninth grade to 12th grade. So the crazy thing about this is while I was still in eighth grade at Hawley, um, I was practicing with South Granville's, um, drumline. South Granville is, um, the high school. Okay. In eighth grade, like I started playing with the high school, you know, Mr. Morgan had kind of just, I think his name was Mr. Bird at the time. Um, kind of let him know, Hey, I got this young drummer, you know, is it okay if he comes and practices with the, you know, with the high school drum line and that, that happened. I was like, Oh, this is so dope. This is cool. You know? And my cousin, um, he was actually playing Quince at the time. He was playing Tom's, which was the instrument that I wanted to play, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just thought that was so dope. And what, what he did was he allowed me to, um, rewrite the the middle school drum cadence you know and he was like yeah i want you to do it you rewrite the you re, redo the um the the drum cadence wow you know we have we have the christmas parade coming up we have whatever else parade coming up and i want you to redo it make it you know just make a new one and i was like oh this is this is really cool so that was that was my first time ever like being creative i guess if you will mm-hmm. and coming up taking something and just doing something different with it nice that was like your first arrangement that was my first arrangement mm-hmm. yeah i never i never thought about it that way but yeah <laughs> <That was laughs> i never it. thought about it that's good z right yeah another seed right so basically what we're saying is that things start early if you go if you look back you can find in your journey to becoming musically hitched at some point there's a connection point to your mm-hmm. destiny. That was one, you know, so you talked about mentees, mentors, I should say, people exposing you to professional musicians, literally bringing the music industry to your, to your small town USA background, right? All right, right. And now we're, now we're in middle school, high school, you make your first a formal audition, let's call it, and now you've also got a chance to arrange. So when you look at your life now and look back at that moment, to me, that's, that's pretty clear that there were some opportunities that, that at least they were just confidence boosters. If nothing else, you had some confidence boosters along the way that said, I can do this. Definitely confidence boosters, like all the way, you know, obviously I was still going to church, um, CFC and everything. And I can't, I cannot pinpoint when I met Ephraim Daniel. I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I do remember there was a project that I had to do. And I want to say it was for, um, I want to say it was for like English or something like that. And we had to do something. We had to be creative with something. Some people wrote a poem, you know, some people, you know, recited some things or whatever. I wanted to do something different. I wrote a rap. You know what I'm saying? I wrote a rap. I was like, yo, I want to do something way off the charts, something totally different. So I knew F, I knew F did music at the church, 
you know, and I knew I'm like, cause I've seen him like do like production stuff. So I asked him, I was like, yo, Hey man, I got this beat. Um, can you do it? You know, it's for my school um, project that I got to do. And it was just, that's all it was, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, after bugging him for a while, like just bugging him and bugging him, bugging him, he finally like he did it and he gave it to me on, you know, on a tape, on a cassette tape. Remember like cassette tapes? Oh, yeah. yeah. People today probably don't even remember like a, an actual cassette tape where sometimes you got to take the little pencil to rewind it, <laughs> put it in there and like turn rewind it to rewind it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right to get it back on track. You know what I'm saying? So he gave it to me on a cassette tape and I listened to it and I was blown. I was like, yo like how did he do this because i played it and it was just so like it just had a thing to it and that's really all it was no music not nothing at all it was literally just kick snare and hi-hat just <laughs> that's all it was and i was blown away in my mind i said yo i want to know how he did that mm-hmm. that's crazy mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so ninth grade comes, I did not want to go to CFC. I didn't want to go to CFC at all. I didn't want to go back to private school. I wanted to go to South Granville with the rest of my friends. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to go to high school because I'm still playing at, you know, I was still a marching Viking at the time, you know, and this was going to be my first year to actually march on the field with South Granville, you know, and actually compete in band competitions with South Granville. But I had to go to South Granville to be able to do that. Right. Right. You know right. what I mean? So I would, that's, that, that was really the, one of the main things between that and wanting to play basketball because I wanted to play ball. I wanted to play, I wanted to play varsity in ninth grade, you know, at South Granville. I wanted to go, go in because it was music and basketball for me. Mm-hmm. So knowing that I was going to CFC at that time, you know, they didn't have a basketball team. You know, when I was when I was in eighth grade, CFC didn't have a basketball team. But in ninth grade, they were they were developing, you know, a, a basketball team, right. you know. And of course, I didn't want to go, but my parents made me go. Of course, I had no choice. So um, and that was really geared towards basketball for me. You know, I was really basketball heavy all day. Like I started dunking in ninth grade. Like I was, I was going in, you know what I mean? And drums didn't necessarily take a backseat. Music didn't necessarily take a backseat, but it was like, it was in the passenger seat. Okay. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. So it wasn't like the driving force for me. Like I really wanted to play basketball, but it was that itch that musical itch that was always there, you know what I'm saying? And especially here's the thing too. See, Bishop created, he had a studio, he made a studio at the church, you know, um, and and the church was a school. So he made a studio for, for us, you know, and actually I can't even say it was for us. It was literally for the church. You know, so I can't say it was just it was for us because we didn't have no studio class or nothing like that. But the fact that it was there, it it kind of drew me in closer to wanting to know what F was doing and how he was doing it. Right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't realize um, that subconsciously what was going on was 
I was closer to my music. I was closer to, you know, the gift that God gave me. So, yeah, just being closer to to him and what he he was doing in the TV studio and, you know, in the musical studio and all that stuff. It made me eager and wanting to know more about how he was doing what he was doing and to see if I could do it, too. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Because I like I kind of started play- when I start playing piano, I want to say I started started messing around. I can't say started playing. I think I started messing around with like the piano, maybe around like fifth grade or sixth grade or something like that. And all this is by ear. You know, I don't, I don't know no A to B and I don't know none of that, man. You know, I'm playing all this stuff by ear, you know, and I'll never forget. My dad took me to see um, Space Jam and um, I believe I Could Fly came on. For some reason, that particular song right. that that Kells wrote it just rung in my ear and I just wanted to learn how to play it. And I ended up learning how to play the song, not knowing what I was playing, but I knew how to play it. And being at the church, it was like, okay, I got church and school at the same time. You know, this is crazy. I don't want to be at church that much, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the school side of it, you know what I'm saying? The school side of it kind of made it make a little bit more sense because it was like some of my friends that I actually grew up with, a lot actually a lot of my friends that I grew up with was there. So it made it a little bit easier to, you know, to do that or whatever. But he would show me little stuff, you know, and at and at that time, um, um, it was a PC, you know, it wasn't an Apple, it was a PC. And it was cakewalk, you know, it was the cakewalk that had the, um, like kind of the turquoise background. And it was just the black dots that represented the MIDI information. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, um, there was no internal sounds. Everything was hardware. Um, we had a, um, um, a core Trinity and a, and a, a JV 80, I think, I think it was a rolling JV 80 or something like that. And um, I forgot how he had it wired up or whatever, but he showed me certain things and he, and then he would leave, he would leave the studio. He would go back into the TV studio. You know, I would ask him like, man, so how did you, how did you da 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 da? And he'd show me and he would say, well, this is what you need to do. You need to do this. And then you quantize it. Quant- and I'm like, well, what is, what is that? Like, I was just asking, I was a sponge. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. What is, what is that? And he showed me the difference of what that is and everything. And he would just leave, you know? And at that time I would be like, man, like, why are you leaving? I need you. I need you to be right here right now. Cause I promise you, I got another question, <laughs> you know, but what he was doing was, it was so crazy. What he was doing was he was, he was creating an environment. I don't know. I don't even know if he realizes this or not, but he was creating an environment to make me have to figure things out on my own. Mm. He was creating an environment to say, okay, cool. I'm going to give you just enough to get you to the next step. Now you got to figure out how to get to the next step. Basically wow. saying, you got to solve this problem. Now, yeah. if you can't solve it, I'm next door. But he would literally show me just enough stuff and then leave. So Ephraim, another great, great mentor to both of us, actually. Uh, Because I have my own Ephraim stories. Fantastic guy. He was basically creating 
room for you to make mistakes. Yeah, in the studio. It was, yeah, man. It was it was one of those moments, of course, um, growing up of like, man, like, you know, are you are you gonna leave every time you show me something? Because I need a follow up from what you just showed me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you gonna like show me this one little part and then leave? You know, but like I said, he was creating that 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 thing of like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to ask him for every little thing. Maybe I could try this and try that and just see if this works. Let's see yeah. if this works. Let's see if this. And for me, when I when I say the lab now, I think back to that because, I mean, you got a scientist who goes in the lab. They don't know what they're doing. They don't. They're experimenting. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They're experimenting. So whenever I'm in the lab now, you know, um, I always say that. Even when I have people that come and record, I try to remind people like, hey, you're going to make mistakes. I need you to. Right. I need right. you to feel that comfortable. Like, it's okay. If you, eh, if you crack, that's fine. Mm -hmm. It's just us is not an audience you know you can do it a hundred times and get it right once that's the goal just get it right one time this is this is the experimentation room and that's what i kind of gathered just from you know just from the the uh the ephraim effect if you will right <laughs> which is which is why a lot of studio rats call it the lab right uh, there, there you go you, you, just, you just basically gave us a dissertation yeah. on why we use the term lab. A lot of people, I'm in the lab, I'm in the lab. You just broke it down. Perfect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's real, man. And I learned so much, man, just from uh just from that particular environment, man. And it wasn't just me, man. It was like it was like a couple of other people that was in there every now and again, too, man. But the fact that I had that access to it. To me, it was just a blessing. I, I remember one particular time I was in there and um, the door opened and it was Bishop. It was Bishop. He came in there. And, you know, Bishop had like the, the voice of God. When he talked, it was like, it was strange. It was like, whoa. He came in there. He like, he had this aura that was like, wow. You know, mm -hmm. like he just, he just had this thing. Huge presence huge didn't have to say a word just once again like i said before about leadership ain't got to say nothing just mm -hmm. he just had that thing right right and he came in there one particular time and um he opened the door man and i wasn't supposed to be down there i don't know where i was supposed to be i was definitely supposed to be in somebody's class but i wasn't in there and he came in there he opened the door and it was like a movie like slow motion it just door opened up and he was like are you supposed to be in here and i was like um you know what i was um nah i'm not i'm not supposed to be because you can't lie to like bishop you know what i'm saying and you in church too like you can't right. just be like you know what i'm saying right right <laughs> and i was like nah nah i'm not i'm not supposed well where are you supposed to be um and um in the class upstairs i suggest you get there mm -hmm. i was like okay okay you know what i'm saying but from then on i noticed something 
from then on, I noticed that I never got any resistance for me, like just using the studio, like even after school or anything like that. I never got any resistance. Like nobody, no, there was no other student that could be in that studio. Hmm. Nobody else could be in there. So I don't know if he, I don't know if he said something, hmm. you know, or whatever, but there was no, it was no more like pushback for me being able to be in there. You know what I mean? Right. And right. just from that alone, it, it, um, I don't know. It just allowed my creativity to just be whatever it would be. I don't know. I go back and listen to some of those high school tracks and I laugh. I'm so embarrassed. It's horrible. He was the catalyst, man, for, for production. Like anything, mm -hmm. anything that I was doing production wise, it started with him. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't nobody else teach me production. It started with him. Mm -hmm. It started with him. He had the patience. He had the heart for it. He didn't, yeah. he didn't, he didn't stand in your way. He opened He opened and made way for you. And I'm sure that even when Richard Timberlake see, came in the studio that day, he knew that you weren't supposed to be in there. He told you to get out. Uh -huh. But he also gave, it sounds like he gave you access, unprecedented access to same Yeah. Because anybody that's going to be in the studio, skipping class and in the studio, yeah. it's probably going to do something I, in the studio. I eventually had a key. Wow. Yeah. I wow. eventually had a key Yeah. that was made for me. Malcolm Gladwell, I'm not sure if you've read his book Outliers, but if you haven't, you are one of the greatest examples, I think, of of probably a musical outlier, where in the book he talks about why so many professional NHL hockey players come from Canada, to how Bill Gates became so gifted at programming at a young age, why the Beatles were able to play, you know, basically a thousand songs, you know, by, by ear as a band, playing, you know, strip clubs, adult entertainment, you know, environments when they were in high school, all the stories that led to people getting their claim to fame or their moment that now the world, we all know all of those names that I just dropped, right? right. But at the same time, we don't know the stories. So I think, I feel like that was probably your outlier moment as well. So that was the yeah. audition and then the first arrangement, right? And then right. there was, you know, there's also, Kevin and Glenn along the way, but then you meet Ephraim at a critical time right before Berkeley. We're gonna get into the Berkeley story here now, but you meet Ephraim at a critical time and he pours into you, leaves room. You've got a studio that you've got a key to. You don't have to pay for studio time. You've got unlimited time to kind of hone the skills and crafts that we hear in your music today. And most people don't know where it started, but that's that's really where it started. So that's. To me, that's your. That sounds like your outlier moment, where you got this yeah. unprecedented opportunity to just glean and grow and learn, and then you have a mentor who, like you said, if you need me, I'm next door. But otherwise, you know, yeah. you got it. And it was it was crazy because it wasn't like it wasn't just it wasn't just F. It was like it was it was Detroit Yancey, you know, keyboard mm. player. Just okay. I mean, crazy. You know, I learned so much. Just you know, once again, um. Detroit was my Glenn of piano. Detroit was my Glenn of piano. Um, Pastor Mark Joyner was my Kevin of piano. Mm -hmm. You know, because Pastor Joyner, God rest his soul, Pastor Joyner, he was classically trained. He was the musical director for um, for the church. I mean, and he was a musical encyclopedia, man. I mean, there was not one song that he did not know. I've heard the stories. I mean, it, it, it was... 
it would it would just he was a freak of nature man he would blow your mind like and and i understood why bishop had him as his as his musical director i mean i mean not only just i, I can't even describe a man you know, I see his I see his face in, in my mind and the way he directed the band, the way he directed the choir, you know, the way he sat at the organ, the way he sat at the piano. I mean, his his piano skills was just he was the black Bach. Mm. You wow. know what I'm saying? He he was the black Beethoven. He was just Blaytoven. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Blaytoven. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? He was and he would and he 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 would call himself he's he's the black man because he was he was really really black. You know what I'm saying? He was really dark, mm-hmm. and he had a and he and he had a gap, and he was just just so amazing, man. You know what I'm saying? He could sit down and just and he had like a little like a uh, you know like a little Jerry curl box type thing. He was smooth with it, man. You know what I'm saying? And his 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 piano skills was just. It was out of control. I took a few lessons with him because he he told me um, I forgot how he worded it, but basically he asked me um, when I was playing one time, "Do you know what you're playing?" And I was like, "Yeah." And I told him the name of the song. <laughs> he was like, "I'm not talking about the title. Do you know what you're playing? What chord is that that you're playing?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Chord? What do you What do you mean? What, what do you mean?" <laughs> and he was like play it again and i'm gonna now i'm gonna i'm gonna tie this back in when we get to college too this is funny um i played it again he was like no what chord is that i was like man i don't know man <laughs> i'm playing this by ear <laughs> i don't know dude <laughs> you asking me questions that you know why do i even need to know i know how to play it so why do i need to know what i'm playing i know how to play it so mm-hmm. why does it matter I didn't know how important it was until later on, but I took a few lessons with him and he told me, he showed me, you know, basically my skills, my major skills and my minor skills. You know, he gave me the the raw basics of that. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, okay, Mr. Joyner, I think I want to know what it is I'm playing now. I want to, I want to dig in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And there was another uh, Mr. Joyner, Pete Joyner, jazz drum jazz drummer um he's the one that actually introduced me to berkeley i had no idea what berkeley was until like 11th grade you know because my mind was i wasn't thinking i was not even thinking about a music school at all really i was thinking at all not even close music school was not on my mind at all i was thinking basketball Okay. All I wanted to do. At that time, did you know the grandeur of of a Berkeley at that time? I had no idea because I was so I, I you know, I, I just wanted to play ball. Right. You know, I my 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 thought process was ball and music was gonna be a hobby. Mm-hmm. That's what it was gonna be. I wasn't really interested until um I started kind of kind of seeing other things, you know, other, you know, other people you know, that went to Berkeley. And I think that was like kind of the driving mm-hmm. uh, force, you know, because I was already a big Quincy Jones fan, but I, I don't think initially I knew that he was, he was there. He went there. 
right. you know, and all that stuff. So, when did you find out that that was where Quincy Jones attended? It was it was some it was sometime in my eleventh grade year, because I started leaning then like, oh wait a minute now, hold on, you know, and oh, and this this is why this is why I wasn't interested. It just hit me. The reason I was not interested in Berkeley College of Music at the time was because I thought it was a jazz school. That's mm-hmm. all I thought it was because who presented it to me was Pete Jordan. He's a he's an incredible, incredible jazz drummer. Okay. Incredible jazz drummer. I'm not personally a fan of jazz like that. I like to listen to it every now and again, but I'm not a like a diehard like jazz fan like i can just rattle off like you know ella fitzgerald and yeah, yeah. charlie park i can't that's not my lane you thought this he's trying to make me a jazz musician this is your thought process at this time yes you know what i'm saying and i'm like that's not me like i like funk i like r&b you know and speaking of which like i still wasn't able to like <laughs> listen to secular music at the time like i had to li- literally sneak and listen to secular music. I had to sneak and listen to Monica. Oh, wow. Sneak okay. and listen to, that's how I found, I found, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I found, um, I found out about Monica and Brandy it, around that, around that, that point in time, I think I was in like, uh, I was still in middle school, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was. I was in middle school and I would sneak and listen to to them because I knew I couldn't listen to it in the house. So some of my friends at school, they would they would like make me tapes from the radio. You remember back in the day, like you just hit hit record and try to uh, record K97.5 or 102 jams. Right. You know, get your favorite songs. Pre-Napster, right? Pre-Napster. There you go. Right. Pre-Napster. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. So I would sneak and listen to them. That's how I learned uh, uh, about them because I heard I want to be down in baby, baby, baby from brandy before i heard um don't take it personal from mo don't take it personal and why i love you so much from mo mm-hmm. so i was like i was drawn to that i'm like oh that's r&b i like that mm-hmm. that's my mm-hmm. i like that you know what i'm saying i like that kind of stuff you know i would be mowing grass cutting grass knowing that i can't listen to it in the house i'll be like sneaking my little tape into my little my little walkman, walkman remember right, the right. sony walkman <laughs> joints yeah <laughs> Exactly. They had the headphones with the uh mm-hmm. the uh the little metal part and just had the little two headphones on the side. Yeah, yeah you used to right. do that. Killing your eardrums, right? Kill it because you had to turn it all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't had no fidelity to them, you know. So but I used to have to sneak and listen to them, man. Um so from from that I was under under the impression that it, Berkeley was a jazz um music school because obviously who brought it to me was a, was a jazz drummer. And um, Pete Joyner, he played, he played drums at the church. He was the main drummer. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it wasn't until I started seeing that, oh, wait a minute, they don't, it's not just a, a you know, geared towards jazz. It's, this is actually geared towards all genres and contemporary music. Like when I saw they had a funk class and an R&B class and a, you know, they had a Latin class and of course they had jazz class and they had a hip hop class. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. 
You know what I mean? It was taking me out. I was like, oh, wait, okay, I might, this actually might be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until me and my dad, like, we went up to, uh, we went up to Boston to visit the school. You okay. know what I'm saying? And what was that like the first time you saw the campus? I can't even call it the campus. <laughs> the buildings, yeah. Okay. But because here's the thing being country, when I think of a campus, I think of grass. They don't have no grass. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? But the buildings, like after being there and walking through the halls and hearing all different kinds of music, just and seeing all walks of life, you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, um, uh, Latino and Asian and and obviously white and black and you know it's like it was like literally a melting pot. Um, um, somebody from Greece and somebody from um um the Middle East, you know, it's like every culture was it was like a melting pot. It yeah. was crazy, you know what I'm saying? And I remember leaving there and saying, I want to go to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. 17, 18 years old at the time? I was 17. Okay. When I graduated, yeah, when I graduated, I was 18 years old. So when I left there, I was like, I want to go. Now, here's the thing about that. Of course, you know, as country people, you know, I had quite a few people tell me, man, you know, it's cold up there now. And you know, you, 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 you good country boy. You country boy. You red clay boy. You sure you can handle that up there, boy? You know, it's cold up there. You know, we don't do cold. It's a different type of cold. <laughs> you you country boy, you don't do that cold there, boy. You know, so that's that's what I kind of got. You know what I mean? But for me, I was like, I, I don't see, I don't see it that way. You know, I don't see it that way. I see it as a real opportunity to explore something that I've never, I never saw. Mm-hmm. Now, what I did see was me staying home, me staying in North Carolina and just, you know. The alternative. Yeah. So there's an opportunity cost when you're pursuing, when you're on this, on this journey to being musically hits. We, we've talked about that before with other, other guests. There is a, there's a moment where, you know, you get to choose whether you're going to be hits. And, I, and, and this is, again, again, if your story is, is another outlier story, right, then Berkeley doesn't happen to every musician, right? Right. Those, and so those that get that get to go there, they're going to get some exposure to music on both a theory as well as a commercial level. Like you said, there's classes, right? It's not just jazz studies and vocal performance. We got what, what was what was your major of choice at Berkeley? My major was songwriting. Songwriting. So think about that. How many people can say they majored in songwriting? Yeah, songwriting and arranging, man. That was my um, that was my major. But Berkeley offers that. And as you said, classes of di- for different genres, not just here's songwriting, here's songwriting for R&B, here's songwriting right. for country, yep. here's songwriting for pop. Yep. And then and then I'm, I'm imagining the not only the uh, the returning alumni, but but the guests, the music industry elite come through there, I'm assuming, right, to oh teach classes God. or to do guest lectures and, and stuff like that. Dude, let me tell you something. When we were, um, <laughs> this is so crazy. Uh, I don't know if you know this guy, Ron Feimster. He's from uh, North Carolina as well. But he actually, he left Berkeley early. And that's actually, and this is weird to even say, but it's a, it's just a, a thing amongst us alum. Because um, we would count them in semesters. 
if you would go to Berkeley for approximately four semesters, would be which would be two years, um, four semesters, six semesters, if you happen to leave Berkeley early because of the fact that an opportunity has arisen because of you being in school, mm -hmm. it's like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. I believe you. I believe it's, you. It's, it's so weird that when people say I graduated from Berkeley, it's like, well, what are you doing with it now? Well, you know, I work over there at, um, at FedEx. Mm -hmm. But the people that don't have a diploma are like running the industry. Mm. Weird. That's it's so backwards to me. I didn't understand it at first, but when I moved and I left early, I was like, "Oh, okay." Now I get it. It's not a blanket statement. Not not everyone, but what you're saying is is there are reasons Berkeley provides opportunities along the way that for the right student, for the right pupil, it literally yeah. could change their life. It's almost like a kid who has the opportunity to go pro what like previously you know when we were coming up you could go to the nba like kobe bryant that's exactly what it went is. straight to the nba lebron james went straight to the nba lots of great players analogy from that day so you could if you've got that opportunity at that age great analogy you probably yep. need to take it because it's, it's going to be rare that you get you're not going to get that opportunity to be a high school grad anymore because mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell you when when ron feemster he when he left early he left early and um, signed with um, with Aftermath with Dre. Okay, I remember him telling me about it, and I was like, "Yo, you about to go work with like like Dr. Dre, like Dre, like Dr. Dre, like Chronic real Dre, one? right? Right, the Chronic <laughs> Dre, the real one." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he was like, "Yeah." The crazy thing is, now I never met him, never met Dre. But I saw him in the distance at my school. He was leaving the 150 building from like touring the campus or whatever with Ron. Wow. Wow. And I remember hitting Ron like later that day. I was like, was you with Dre? He was like, yeah, he wanted to just come in and uh, see the campus. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Dr. Dre was at my school. And I remember walking and seeing them come out of the 150 building it took me i was like oh this okay so they really do come here yeah you know what i mean yeah. it's almost right. like i mean like you said that was a really great analogy it's like a um a college player um having the opportunity like jordan jordan left unc early exactly you know right he got the opportunity is it, the opportunity is there for a reason yeah because you can come back and get the degree that's what that's what he did he came yeah, exactly. back but he was still he's still the greatest of all time Yep. So there was a window of time where he didn't need any more. Vince Carter, too. Vince did the same thing. Yeah, Vince left early right. and then he came back, mm -hmm. you know, and got his degree, you know. But piggybacking, like I said, it was just that when I left, when me and my dad left, that's when I made that de definitive decision and said, I want to go to Berkeley. Mm -hmm. That's actually what I want to do now. It was like Berkeley was like it was it was no longer in the passenger seat anymore. It was like music started becoming like the thing. I started missing basketball practice. Mm. You know, like um, some of some of my teammates would have to come to the studio. Hey, Herm, come on, man. We got we got practice. We got we got layup yeah. lines, man. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Would literally have to bring me, take me out of the studio to 
have me come to basketball practice. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? When that started happening, I knew. I said, yeah, basketball is supposed to be the hobby, not music. The A gift versus the B gift, as Steve Harvey has has talked yeah. about it in the past. So, so music, your musically hits now. We we can we can we can see it visually even now. Yeah, just, just listen to the, to the interview. So basically, w music was riding in the passenger seat all along. You never were without it, but now music had switched over, and is now the driver. And basketball is now in the passenger seat. So mm -hmm. now we 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 are Berkeley, and now we're we're about to transition into the Atlanta story, and I know we. Uh, we still got a lot more to cover, but I want to dig in. At some point, there's another critical relationship that was a part of that North Carolina connection. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we're going to talk about Ronnie Garrett, his influence in your life and the impact yeah. that, that, you, that he's had on you. But how did you meet Ronnie? This Because this is post-Berkeley. You didn't meet Ronnie, I'm assuming, before or was it after Berkeley? I actually met Ron when I was 16 years old, man. I met Ron through this, um, this guy named Preston Middleton. And Preston Middleton, he was he was actually one of this full circle thing is crazy. We're going to tie it all in. Um, but Preston Middleton was one of the um, uh, I wouldn't say founders, but I would say heavy, heavy influencers of Destiny's Child. It was it was him. It was Kim Burst and it was Matthew Knowles that that I know of. It was those three that were responsible for Toya, Tavia, B, and Kells. You know what I mean? So I met I met Ron through Preston. I met Preston when I was uh, I want to say 10th grade. So I was approximately maybe 15 years old-ish. Okay. Yeah. So Destiny's Child is really just about to take off at this point. Yeah. I want to say 97. Mm-hmm. But I met, yeah, I met Ron. We came down. We was um actually we was working on this group. Can't remember the name of it, but it was it was Ephraim, it was Detroit, Tim Owen. Tim Owen, um, amazing singer. He was he was um at that time, I think he was still with Casey and Jojo, but he was he was writing for them as well. And that would come full circle too. And there was one other guy that was um, a part of this gospel group that we were trying to put together. And Preston was a part of that. He was heading it up actually. And um, one particular time we came to Atlanta, I met, I met Ron then. And I remember sitting in the car cause I, you know, Preston had already told me all about him and all this other stuff and you know how he's from Durham and, you know, from same area and this, that, and the other, this is what I got in common. You know, he plays bass, you know what I'm saying? And used to play drums and all this other stuff. So he told me a lot about him. So I was like, I was just nervous. Yeah. Like I was nervous. Like I didn't want to like get out the van or the, I forgot what we was in van car or whatever, but I didn't really want to get out. And, you know, they motioned me to come in and, you know, and I came in and, you know, I met him, you know, Hey, you know, Hey, Hey, Mr. Garrett, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? Just nervous, you know, like, wow, like this is a superstar. You know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. You know, he's he's famous. I met a famous person. You know what I'm saying? So just taking me out. So that's how I met Ron. I met Ron through um through Preston Middleton. And what what he did was um Preston was an influencer too, man, on the production side too, man. Like he definitely helped me see things beyond what i was hearing all the time he he definitely um kind of opened up my 
my inner ears a little bit you know if that makes mental ears or musical ears if that if that makes any sense to hear beyond the the norm you know yeah that's that's yeah that's that's how i met ron man and me and me and me and prez i mean at that time i was calling him uncle press because we 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 spent a lot of time together man you know it was like it was like i i was the only one that was kind of like the little the little gnat that you just could not get rid of, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I was just bugging everybody about like, you know, well, how'd you do this and how'd you, because what he used to do is. <laughs> peanut, right? Not peanut, but peanut. Peanut, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? It, that's, that's who I was, you know, because he would, he would use an NPC um, to do his, tracks i want to say it was maybe an npc 1000 or something like that but i just remember it was an npc it was a drum machine that he used and he was trying to teach me how to use it but it's, it's almost like npc and for me this is a personal thing for me an npc for me is like an android and keys and soft sense like logic and pro tools is an iphone to me uh-oh uh-oh you know what I mean? Like, it's just for me to be able to use keys and logic. I'm, it's just easier for me to use mm. as opposed to an NPC. A preference. Yeah, I can maneuver better. They both do the same thing but, or whatever. Essentially, basically do the same thing fundamentally. But, you know, it's almost like I spent more time trying to figure things out as opposed to spending more time just being creative. Mm -hmm. You know, but... Yeah, Preston. Um, Preston was a catalyst to um, me meeting Ron, and like I said, that all started with with F. I I did this this tree one time, and it took me out. Like if it was, I said all the time, if it wasn't for F, I I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing production wise, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I I wouldn't have, you know, gravitated towards Preston the way that I did. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have met Ron. Yeah, you know. Um. I wouldn't have met Kim. <laughs> I mean, it's unmistakable how how connected your destiny was literally to that town and to that institution. Yeah. At that time. Facts. Amazing. Facts, man. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with Ronnie and how that has impacted your trajectory. So you made the connection. When did you realize that Ronnie himself saw something special in Peanut? Well, it wasn't until um and speak it's funny i'm glad i'm glad you said that the, the name peanut guess who gave me that name ephraim is the one that actually gave me that name really yes okay ephraim is actually the one who gave me that name we were rehearsing for something i want to say um the citadel citadel in south carolina or something like that it was some show that we was rehearsing for or whatever so we was rehearsing, you know, over and over and over and over and over. And there's this one particular time I was in the middle of, you know, a great feel. I felt great about it because I knew by the time I got to the end of this field, I was going to crash hard. You know what I mean? Just, you know, I was going in and F stop. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, 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 stop. And I, I didn't feel like stopping today. You know, it wasn't <laughs> that wasn't the moment for me to stop. You know, I didn't I, I didn't I thought it was very disrespectful for him to ask me to stop while I was in the middle of a phenomenal feel. You know, I didn't like it. If you say so yourself, Jay-Z. Yeah, 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 I didn't I didn't like it. So <laughs> so 
So I kept going and I, I finally stopped. And Elf was like, hey, if you don't hurt, if you don't stop, no peanut head rascal. And everybody fell out laughing. I was like, hey, man, don't, man, don't, don't, don't call me that, man. He was like, you know what? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, everybody from now on, his name is no longer Herman. His name is no longer Herm. His name is Peanut from now on. Everybody in here from now on, y'all call him Peanut from now on. Since he don't want to stop. Since he don't want to stop. His name is Peanut from now on. And I was like, hey, man, hey, man, y'all, hey, don't, don't call me that, man. Don't call me, hey, man, don't call me Peanut, man. So it just happened to get around the school and people at school started calling me Peanut. Uh-huh. And then next thing you know, my basketball coach was calling me Peanut. And I was like, man. I guess I'm going to go with it, right? Yeah, I'm serious. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't even fight it no more, man. I was like, I don't even want to be called this. So <laughs> I couldn't fight it no more. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess, well, I guess my name is Peanut. I guess I guess got to live with this one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Thanks again. Couldn't run from it. <laughs> so back to, to Ron, when I, uh, we actually reconnected when I was in Berkeley. There was this, um, <laughs> this is a stupid story. Um, and they still have it. It's this place called the Learning Center. And I remember my guys, um, my boy John, he's from South Carolina, and my boy Ricky, he's actually from Augusta, Georgia. Um, Ricky was the one that was telling us about the Learning Center, you know, telling me about it. Uh, my girl, Rashidra, she's out of, she was from VA, VA Beach. We had a little crew because we was like the the Southern crew, you know, everybody else, you know, from New York, LA, you know, Miami, Chicago, you know, big cities, you know, us, eh, not so much. So we kind of, kind of clung together. And <clears throat> within our group, Ricky, just a musical genius, he played every instrument known to man. You know, he would pick up a cello and then pick up some drumsticks, you know, and then go run the sound because he an incredible. He was an incredible sound engineer, too. Um, but he was the one that came to us and was like, and he's dope on organ, by the way. Crazy. But wow. he was the one that came to us and was like, hey, have y'all have y'all heard about the learning center? You know, and us at that time, you know, oh, well, I don't know about the learning center. You know, it's sound too much like books to me. That's too many, too many books, you know, <laughs> but it was like, nah, nah, man, you should go, man. Like, you know, and this one particular time, you know, he came and told us about it. And I was like, all right, well, let's Ricky, I guess just show us where the learning center is, man. So we're walking into the main building, which is the 150 building. Um, and we walk, as soon as you go in, you walk upstairs and right there, just before you walk into the glass part of it, it's probably changed by now, but walk into the glass part of it, you see the um, the media center and it's nothing but just, just all types of like records and stuff. Whatever you want to hear, whatever you want to listen to, what it does not matter what it is, it's in the book and they have it there. It's like a music library. It doesn't matter what genre. Okay. Nothing. It's in the book. Wow. You can go and listen to it right now. The um, B sides of things or the um, the demo of whatever, you can go and listen to it. Really? 
crazy, crazy. I didn't know that at that time. But then, you know, we're following him upstairs. We go upstairs and we see the sign that says Learning Center. We get up there and all around is just a library. I said, see, I said, see, Ricky, Ricky. I said, I knew it. Books, books, Ricky. I'm not trying to see the books, man. I'm not trying to see the books. It's too many. <laughs> I don't like it. You know, it's too much. And he's like, no, nah, man, come on, man. We got to keep walking. We got to walk through the library area to get to the Learning Center. And we get to the Learning Center. We walk down this little ramp. And um, you walk this one little corner and it's like 60 or 70 um, uh, personal stations with a computer and keyboard. And I was like, Ricky, now what is this now? He said, I told you you would love because you like doing production. Right. And he was like, I told you you would love this. He was like, all you got to do is just give them your your. Um, you know, your uh, uh, Berkeley ID and they'll give you a station. And I was like, are you serious? He was like, yeah, and you can make tracks all day long. Mm-hmm. You can make as many tracks as you want. Mm-hmm. He was like, as a matter of fact, I don't know what classes you got, but some of your classes require you to go to the learning center and make whatever track that they're asking for to bring back. And I was like, Ricky, now you'd have messed up. Cause I'm never going to class, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, this, so this is, this is critical too. So this, this actually takes me back to the, to the story I shared with you about DJ. So that means that music probably wasn't CSC produced music that I was hearing. It, because it this be, is the point of the story where you get unlimited access to the studio again. And now you're in college. So you can't get in trouble for being at a learning you can get credit for being in the learning center. Yeah. So this is where you really hone the production skills and you're a songwriting major, so you actually have to do it. So yeah. this explains to me where the demo of maybe the 500, I don't know, you have to tell me. I'm just, now I'm that just, makes sense. That's because this is a time in life where not only did you know what you were doing, but you had time to create tracks like that, a body of work like that, even if it was just instrumentals over the course yeah. of what, four years you were at Berkeley? Yep, three and some change. I got it. Yeah. So um, there would be times, (laughs) this is so crazy. Everybody who went to Berkeley with me, they knew where to find me. I was in the learning center. Mm. When I wasn't in class, I was in the learning center. Mm -hmm. Like there were times where Ray, uh, Rashidra, she would, she would come and ask me like, Hey, I didn't see you in class today. You good? It's like, yeah. Well, you know, you can't miss with so many classes before they, they drop you. I was like, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Okay, I got to get enough credit to at least stay in the class, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. There were times where uh, me and John, we would be in there literally like a nine to five, man. We would be in there. They would open up at nine o'clock and close at 11. We would be there literally at nine o'clock when they would open up to the point where they knew us. They knew us. Now, you could only, you couldn't, you couldn't leave your station longer than 10 minutes before they give your station up and, you know, cause you can't just hog the station. Well, for right. us, it was a little bit different cause they just, we was there so much that they, they knew the two of us. They knew that when we were coming there, we were like, we were posting up, we was about to be there all day, you know? And there were, there were so many days that we were there from 9 AM to 11 PM. We would take our little lunch break from like 12 to one <laughs> mm-hmm. and come back to our station and then come back and take another break from like 
you know, from like uh, six to seven or seven to eight or something like that, and then come back and finish, you know. So we were just in there, like, just just making tracks, making tracks, making tracks, make, hey, man, listen to this. Oh, man, listen to this, you know. And people would just know, like, okay, well, if we don't see Peanut down there in the regular common area or whatever, we know where he is. If anybody's right. looking for Peanut, Peanut is up in the Learning Center. I don't know what station he's at, but he's up there somewhere working on another track or something. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just that was just the known thing um, as far as my college situation. So in doing so, I reconnected and I started sending Ron um, like uh, CDs because it, it you know it wasn't the MP3 at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still on CDs right now. Right, right, right. I was sending him CDs, so we jumped from tape to uh, <laughs> from Walkmans mm-hmm. to Discmans at the time. Yep. So I was sending him um, CDs every time I made like a volume. That's what I was calling them. I got like sixteen volumes, and each one of them has like like twenty uh, twenty tracks per volume or whatever, okay. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time I finish one, I would just mail it to F you know, and mail one to like um, Ron or something like that. And it wasn't until after a while, you know, Ron was just like, man, like you, you coming along, Mm -hmm. you know? And eventually, eventually um, he hit me this. And this was around, this was around 03, because like I said, I moved in 04. Mm -hmm. Um, He was like, um, hey man, you know, have you thought about what you want to do after Berkeley, after college? You know, and I told him, I said, yeah, man. I said, I, you know, I want to move to Atlanta. You know, I don't I don't know what's there as, as far as music is concerned, because Atlanta wasn't popping like that. You know, Atlanta wasn't, but it wasn't popping like that. But I've all, I always said that I wanted to live in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Not knowing why, but I knew that I wanted to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Still at school, still at still at Berkeley. Um, this one particular class, um, I forgot the lady's name, um, but she was my Harmony Three teacher, and she kind of took me back to something that Mister Joyner said. So I would go in and play, you know, and at this point in time. I knew I knew my 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 scales. I could play in in every key or whatever without hitting the transpose button. <laughs> so, um, there's one particular time we was doing. Um, was it the? I want to say maybe the midterms or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was midterms, and I was skating. Harmony one, harmony two. I was skating all the way through. You know what I'm saying? Um, ear training was fun. That was easy. That was. I enjoyed that. That was that was great. But harmony was always the, um, I guess the the, the krypton, my kryptonite, because as a, as a drummer, you know, especially in marching band and drumline, I was used to seeing, you know, my snare line, you know, or my timeline, which would be specific, you know, um, uh, notes in the in the scale. It wasn't necessarily note like actual notes. It was just representative notes of like, okay, this is time one, this is time two, this is time three, this is time four, this is your quint. So it was only five, you know. So when it came to harmony and understanding 
chords over slashes. I didn't know what that was, you know, and understanding how to read chords over slashes. I skated harmony one, two, and almost three, but the buck stopped at three because she made me take that class again. She, she embarrassed me so bad in such a great way in such a graceful way too. I was playing in, in, you know, before class started or whatever. And, you know, she would come in and cool, you know, go to my seat, everything like that. And this one particular time, she, um, she called me up. She called me up and she said, she said, Herman, why don't you, why don't you come on up? They didn't know me as peanut. Not my teachers. My teachers knew me as, as Herman, some of them, my drum teachers knew me as peanut. But she called me up and said, why don't you come and play something? Just play, play, um, just play an eight bar phrase. You know, and I was like, oh, OK. Cool. This is my opportunity to play something for the class. Oh, thank you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. So I get up there, man. I play my little eight bar phrase. Now, mind you, behind my back. I didn't know that she was looking over my shoulder. She had a little, little pad. I didn't realize that she was transcribing as I was playing. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, she was, you know, doing the chords over slashes, man, you know, and she was just transcribing as I was playing. And when I got done, you know, the, the class clapped. Man, that was great. It sounded good. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, a little something I'm working on, you know, it's cool. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm gonna go to the learning center a little later on and lay that joint down. It's gonna be hot when I get done with it, though. You know, it's gonna be crazy. You know, and she put this piece of paper in front of me, and she said, "That was nice. That was nice." Now, um, now play this, and she put that in front of me. You remember in Drumline when um, dude was like, "No, nah, you got it." I mean, you knocked that that um, that cadence out that I did in no time. Come on, you can do it. And Devin looked at it and was like, "Man, I want to do this. I can't." You know. Cause he couldn't read music. Right. So I couldn't read the chords over slashes. Now, mind you, like I said, I did not realize that she was transcribing what I was playing, not necessarily the, the details of what I was playing, but just the core progression and the core structures of what I was playing. So could you read music here? Were you sight reading at all? Or you, you learned that at Berkeley? I learned that at Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. So, and that was the beginning this moment right here was the beginning of me learning that. So you didn't have to sight read. So some people may not know that you did not have to sight read or do not have to sight read to get admission to Berkeley. Is that correct? I didn't. I had to do an audition video to get into Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. I had to do an audition video. I didn't have to sight read in the video. It showed me playing piano. Um, also in the video was I made an arrangement um, and I played live drums to it. And he used the the jib, the Jimmy jib, you know, camera to kind of get some angles and presentation type stuff or whatever. Um, and it was one other thing I did in the video. And that was that was it. I didn't have to do any sight reading at all. You know. Um, yeah. So she sat that in front of me and asked me to play it. She was like, can you play this? And I was I looked at it and I looked at her and I was like. Nah, I'm good. Never seen that before. <laughs> right, right, right. I was like, what no, is that? Right. And she said, um, "Okay." She said, "Well, I'll I'll play it for you." And I got up 
And she's, you know, showed me, she said, I'll, I'll show you how to play it. Now, mind you, she's making an example out of me. Mm-hmm. Of course. And how important it is to know what you're playing. And she sat down and started playing exactly what I was playing. Mm. Zach, do you understand? I felt this small. Because <laughs> you got to understand the class. I think it was probably maybe like 12 people or something like that. The class was. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, man, that was dope. Oh, yeah, that man. was phenomenal. <laughs> you we'll hear that again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> you talking about a humbling experience, dude. Wow. Man. And I felt like I said, I was like, man, I was like, man, thank y'all. I appreciate it, man. You know, I'm like, you know. <laughs> you can give my autograph later. <laughs> I'm gonna be right. I'm gonna be in the learning center later if y'all want me to sign anything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she sat down. <laughs> she sat down and played exactly what I played. And I looked at her, I was like, oh my God. And she told me in front of the class, like it was silent because everybody knew what just happened. Hmm. everybody knew it was like ooh <laughs> and she told me after she said um, don't leave after class I need to speak with you and I was like uh oh so after the class was over and everybody left I went over to her and I was like yes ma'am and she was like she said Herman she said you're very talented nobody can take that from you Mm-hmm. You're very talented. She said, but I'm not going to let you pass this class until you know what you're playing. Mm. She said, you can play anything and everything that you want to play. But if you don't know what you're playing, you're not speaking the language and you will not know how to communicate it to anybody else. Wow. Not speaking the language. I said, I said, okay. And I told her, I said, it's just difficult. You know, I don't, I told her, I said, I'm a, you know, we use that excuse at that time. I was like, you know, I'm a drummer. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't do that or whatever. You know, she said, you're more than a drummer. You're more than a drummer. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm not going to let you pass this class based off of you saying that you're just a drummer. She was like, you're not going to pass Harmony 3 until you know what you're playing. And that was my challenge of like, it took me back to Mr. Joyner of him almost, almost saying the same thing to me. I think he did say the same thing to me of like, you need to know what you're playing, you know? Cause when he asked me that, well, you know, what are you playing? I told him the title of the song as opposed to what I'm actually playing. You know what I mean? So you're having this moment again, right? I'm Come having on. it again. Right. Deja vu style. It's connected. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Deja vu style. But this time I'm in New England. You know what I mean? So there's an important lesson right there, right? I think this is this is something that you and I have talked about before. If you don't learn the lesson the first time, life is a master class, right? Oh, oh yeah. So you, it's gonna you cycle can, back around. If you skip on if you try to skip the lesson, you can leave the state. You can leave the city. You can go to a totally different place. Yep. And the lesson will follow you there only oh, yeah. to repeat itself. You must learn the lesson. So musicians, we want you to know that everybody listening that wants to make it in this business, when the lesson shows up, you must pass it the first time or else you will not be able to progress. This lady was not going to let you pass 
this course on Berkeley's campus, literally wrote out, basically scored out what you played off the top of your head. She did it in minutes, maybe. Sat down and played. I was doing it. I was just playing it. She just said, just play an eight bar loop. And I was just playing an eight bar loop. And while I was playing the loop, she was transcribing what I was playing. I didn't play it long. I probably, I probably played the loop maybe like, maybe, maybe three times. Right. You know what I'm saying? Maybe three times. So we, I mean, what are we talking? What, 24 bars? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's crazy. Today's episode features music from Peanut's latest EP release entitled New Life, available in digital stores worldwide. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's content, be sure to like and subscribe so that you'll always be notified of new episodes. This is Zach Reynolds Jr. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched.